The following program contains themes and topics that may be disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Any Given Day, a podcast series sharing the stories of those who dedicate their careers to serving others. On Any Given Day, the more than 800,000 law enforcement officers in the United States witness the best of community and confront the worst of society. The profession requires a resilient mind every single day. In this season, we hear the stories of how law enforcement officers navigate the unique stress of their job from the men and women who live them. Each week, they remind us, on any given day, you face the unknown, and on every single day, you carry on. On this episode, we're speaking with Jaron Rutherford. He has two tours in Iraq and eight years with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. as an officer. Jaron is using his reflections from his experience to provide perspective on the future. Jaron, welcome to Any Given Day. So let's jump right into it. What drew you to law enforcement after your military career? Yeah, I think broad strokes uh, is I, I have an interest or had have still especially at the time, had an interest in balance. Um, but, you know, more specifically, uh, I wanted to be part of the machine that uh, helped humans be better to each other, be good to each other. Um, you know, because humans in general just aren't. Um, we do a lot of shitty things to each other. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I wanted to make the community better or I don't know. There's so many cookie-cutter responses to that that just don't really feel like they hit the mark. But I just wanted to be a agent of balance, I guess. It sounds so melodramatic to say, you know, but that's, that is what it is. You know, I wanted to be part of balance. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, some moments that you had in policing that you feel like were able to offer that balance or some of your favorite moments in policing? Oh, that's that's such a hard question for me. And I don't know if I'm going to have a good one. I've been spending the past, I don't know, since we talked last, trying to think of this. And, you know, unfortunately, my biggest memories are negative. Uh, I, you know, those are the things that repeat to me. Um, the things that I think that I did good, I don't think my brain really retained them I th because I have a, a self-deprecating nature. Um, you were involved in a conflict that got quite a bit of national play, and you were with Metropolitan Police Department of on January 6th. That's right. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that day got started for you? Sure. So uh, I'll start with 2020 because I think that's relevant, um, both for this situation and, and for mostly the world. You know, I mean, 2020 was a storied year for everybody. Um, but I, I think that especially so for uh, large municipality police officers, first responders, or, you know, fire department. Um, I think that, you know, there were things that we saw that year that weren't exactly, um, common denominator. I, I was in a, a hard platoon, uh, what, what, what we call a rapid response. Um, we're 
you know, the um, we were the platoon or one of the platoons in the district that wore the the armor that you know most officers don't wear. Um, and our job, uh, primarily, um, you know, I've I've been on this platoon uh, for for years, um, but you know, twenty twenty was. Let me step back. So, as a an officer in a hard platoon, my job was primarily to sit in this armor, um, and wait for shit to hit the fan. And um, in my years on this platoon, you know, it was a job where we just sat in the van and we were never allowed to get out. No matter how much the world seemed like it was on fire, they just wouldn't let us get out. And is that a tough feeling for you? I mean, how many hours would you spend together in the car? I mean, and what yeah. did you talk about? And what music did you listen to? Oh, sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that, you know, that's a whole other situation for me psychologically. But yeah, it was tough because, yeah, you, especially in the situations where you feel like, you know, you're watching things on social media. You see that the world, it looks like it's on fire. And, the, you know, like the, like the, the thing that was so different about 2020 was that that changed. What we're really trying to focus on is the mental sort of struggle and then resilience that officers have day to day. And no one was put in a harder situation than the officers that responded um, on on January 6th. And so I think, you know, after all of this time period that you spent sort of taking care of an entire year mm -hmm. of of strife, we then, you know, have this extra sort of build up the election has happened, um, you know, or is, is in the midst of happening. Sorry. It was the, the votes had been cast That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we were starting to count the votes. And this is for a national election, um, for the president of the United States. And the votes are going to be actually officially counted, uh, on January 6th. That's right. So yeah. you wake up that morning and put on your uniform sure. and head to work. Yeah, sure. And what are you so, thinking as you're driving into work that day? Well, I mean, so, but that's that's why I think the whole 2020 leading up to it was so important is that it become it becomes such a commonplace thing for us to, you know, we the people in that platoon we barely participated in patrol in 2020. That you know, doing this hard platoon life, and that was that was what we did. So, you know. As we cycled through the various things that we were needed for, um, it just became commonplace. You know, it went from uh, the, the, the riots to then um, a different set of riots uh, to then the um, uh, the vote, voter or the, the voting process. You know, everything leading up to it. So, you know, on on that day, it wasn't really too much different than what we had already dealt with. And so we're, we're, you know, we had gotten to work and we had our staging area and we're sitting in our vans and, um, you know, it's, we're, we're in our kind of standout situation. We're, we're in our like stand down posture, which is our, we're sitting in a van in a, on a street where we're not supposed to be seen. Um, nobody really knows we're in the area. We're just kind of listening to the radio and waiting for somebody to call us. So that's a typical morning on the hard platoon until, you know, someone starts shouting. 
Um, but we were listening to the radio, and we can hear um, there are being lockups are being made of this crowd. We know a crowd is present. We're, we're close to this crowd. It's our job to be right next to it. When the call comes out, we all pull our vans up on the uh, the eastern side of the Capitol. We stop there, and we all just pile out, and we're running for running around the south side up to the western front. Um, is it super tense? Is it? Do you know how many people you are getting ready to encounter? No, I, I think. So at this point, my judgment of being tense should be called into question. Uh, you know, because at this point, it's just a another day for me. Um, I mean, there's there are some extra things onto it, but you know, this is still just what I've been doing for you know the past year. Fair enough. Um, I remember one of the most notable things I think I remember about from like running from the van to there is I see another officer. She used to work in the first district and I hadn't seen her for a long time. And she's, she works for SOD, like our special operations now. And I see her and I'm running alongside. I'm like, Hey, Tyndall, how's it going? You know, like I'm, I'm just like trying to say hi. She does not seem into it. She's like, no, I've got other shit to worry about right now. Why are you saying hi to me? You know? So I, I guess that kind of indicates, you know, like I, you know, that was your first tip off that this might not be any. Well, no, day. I guess that is more just an indicator of how my perception of it just probably isn't the most valuable. Um, but so as we're you know kind of getting closer to the western side, we're encountering officers who are rinsing off their faces from pepper spray. So we see that there's a physical conflict going on, and we get around, and so we have this massive crowd, and officers are you know in soft gear, they're not wearing our, our armor, and they're like holding on to these barricades. So then we kind of tap them out, and we take their place. Um, and from then, it was just. Uh, a fight, you know, I mean, there was, it was a, yeah, we, we get there and it turns into physical conflict, um, you know, immediately we're, we're immediately trying to establish our line. Things are, are chaotic. So we are trying to just, you know, bring order, um, through force, uh, you know, and so we establish our line and we, we act mean and we pull our metal crates and make our, you know, our little barricade and and things kind of calm down once we get there and we, we kind of establish ourselves. Um, but, uh, I mean, calm is relative. You know, we, we spend the next several hours uh, interacting with this crowd in a conflicting way through you know, being yelled at or being assaulted, using force back. Um, it was a, a blur of being yelled at and punching people. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's... Uh, I mean, how else do you describe it, yeah, right? Yeah, sure, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so you're describing it as interacting. I liked your, your next just description there. But, I mean, it was intense physical interaction for hours? Yeah, sure. I mean, and this was a point where 
Uh, it was no longer words. It was, you know, for a good amount of time, it was just fighting. So I remember I was, uh, I was hitting people with my asp um, as they were kind of closing in on me. Uh, just, I was just swinging just because, I mean, they were, you know, at this point I was, you know, I had spent the past however long listening to people wearing tactical equipment, um, helmet, bulletproof vest, telling me things like, uh, you know, I'm willing to die here. Um, you know, just you wait, we've got, we got all the guns behind us. They're coming. You know, so all the things that we think are happening, they're, they're, you know, they're saying these things. Um, you know, I'm watching people try to take my partner's guns. You know, uh, that was a lot of the fighting is, you know, you'd see somebody look for a gun, you punch them in the face, you know. <laughs> you know, and so it just got mean. And I realized that there are, there's no longer a line. We are, you know, we are, we are in this crowd. And so then we, we find our way to kind of rejoin up with our, platoon. Can I ask you a question before we move on to you rejoining up? Were you ever afraid in that moment? Were you fearful when you were in? Yeah, absolutely. Being encircled. Like, was there a moment of absolute fear? And what did you do about that in the moment? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I felt fear plenty in my career. Um, So there's not really a lot to do about it. Um, But, you know, at the time, Sure, I, I I felt a fear that I I had not experienced in my life before. Um, you know, we and were so clearly you just kept going. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we were clearly outnumbered, um, and I knew that you know we were so encircled that there was no way out for us. Um, even at this point, even on the front steps, um, that you know we. Um, I guess I think the the retreat kind of speaks to that fear because this was the first time we had ever retreated. I mean, ever. Um, you In know, your eight years or that day? It was sure, yeah, eight years. Um, yeah. I mean, is in this hard platoon, right. you know, in this job that we did. Yeah. You know, we had never encountered a situation where we didn't have the numbers or the tactics or the um, the setup to create balance to a point where we could disperse things and everybody could go back to peaceful life. And I realize we're being encircled, so we we push our way through the crowd that has passed us to get back to our platoon. And so we're we're going up at this point onto the. Uh, future inaugural stadium, which is, you know, erected every four years for, you know, the inaugural speech. Um, So there's just one stairway that leads up to it. Um, And all of the, the, I don't know, all the chemical munitions that have been deployed that day somehow uh, had all congregated in this one little stairwell and it was the only path out for us. So we were, we had to like run up through it. Um, and at this point, you know, a lot of us, you know, in the platoon, we ran so fast from the, the, the vans that some of us didn't grab our gas masks. Um, you know, you don't always have them on you. Uh, you know, after a year of doing this job, you, you become complacent in certain things. You know, uh, wearing a gas mask is kind of a pain in the ass. But some of us paid 
the price for that complacency that day. You know, run up that stairwell, that gas hits you, and then the, hits the person in front of you, and they they slow down. Like, no, 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 <laughs> don't do all this now. You you keep going. Yeah, this sucks, but you got you're not going to trap me in this thing. And so we we know you know that this crowd is right behind us. We locked the doors. So so we were inside the the tunnel. Um. You know, we, we barred the doors and um, we're just waiting. You know, but we had at least a little bit of a break uh, between all the fighting we did. Um, but, you know, and we're hearing them trying to bang their way through and we know what the crowd is. We know the number and, you know, what they, they've already shown us they're capable of. You know, I mean, even, even before we went into the tunnel, I knew uh, or I had conceptualized that if any of us died, if they had managed to pull us into this crowd or separate us, they would kill us and they would parade our naked bodies through the streets. That, that was the, that's, I, I, I imagine from an outside perspective, listening to that, that might sound melodramatic. But from our perspective, that was the frenzy of the crowd that we were dealing with. I had never fought so hard in my entire life. But you go home that night, and what did you do when you went home that night? I mean, what was your mental state at that point, if you can remember? Oh, hmm. That was a dark night for me. Yeah, looking back on that, after after that day, that night, and months to follow, uh, were a, a struggle for me. Yeah. And what were you struggling with? Oh, geez. Um, failure was a big part. Um, you know, and... Uh, failure and shame were, were feelings that I experienced that looking back now, um, conceptually, I don't understand. Um, but they were there. Uh, felt like there was a failure to, um, I don't know, navigating conflict with grace something that's important to me and I felt like I didn't have grace that day. You know. I felt like um you know, fighting for your life is never pretty. But you want it to look pretty. You want to look graceful. You know, you want to look strong. And I saw images of myself that day and just didn't like seeing them. I can imagine that's hard to revisit with actual images yeah. and sitting with what's in your mind, which is probably very confusing. I mean, it takes a while to process anything as a human, um, but to process something that got so much media attention that was being played out time and time again. Hmm. You may have had family and friends who are asking you about it in ways that, um, you know, 
sometimes, you know, when something plays out on the media and then you're being asked about it, people have the media version that they're talking to you about. Sure. And you're experiencing something very different. So what did you do? So you, you mentioned that that was a dark time. That night that you got home was dark. The the days and months that came after that were dark. What did you do with that darkness? Um, hmm. Well, uh, I knew that substances had to be avoided. Um, you know, so I, you know, I just cut off alcohol. I knew that that was a time that I'd, if I started that, it would have been just bad news bears. Was there something that helped you the most? Did you, or, or something that you wish you had had as a resource that could have helped you? Talking no. to someone, well, or, so, so whether it's civilian or, or police. Ultimately, I, I sought uh, therapy, um, and that was very helpful. Um, the department supplies uh, therapy free of charge. And did they encourage you to go? Did they force you to go? Uh, no. No, I, I, well, I don't, they didn't force me. Um, I don't remember if they encouraged me or not. I was, I'm, I'm already pretty self-starting for, for that kind of stuff. So I imagine that's something that I already, I already pursued. Um, I know that I put, I tried to put energy into being there for some of the other officers. Um, cause I knew if I was, you know, if I was in this dark place that, um, you know, and I, I feel like I have a considerable amount of emotional intelligence. Um, and if I was in that place, then there were people who were probably not navigating it as, as well as they needed to be. Um, and I, I was convinced that, uh, officers in my platoon even, you know, were, were going to take their lives as a result of this. Um, fortunately, you know, in, in my platoon, we didn't suffer that, but, you know, MPD did. Uh, there were a number. Capital as well, I believe, had one. And so I'm just wondering what happened between you and the other officers in those following days that helped or hurt you get to where whatever place you're at now? Well, so I think it's it's worth noting that, you know, it was um, – I think – it it took so let's say January until August before I felt like I was stable, better, even. So in that path, you know, that's a long road to deal with those kinds of things. So even and you're still going to work every – sorry for interrupting, but sure. you're still going to work every day at this point. So sure. eight months of sort of sitting with this burden – I shouldn't call it a burden. It's different than yeah. that. Eight months of sitting with this flood of everything that's happening, mm-hmm. and you're still going to work every day. Well, how, sure, yeah. You how know, did the, it feel being at work each day? Did you feel like you were carrying it with you every day, or did you show up and do your job and then come home and sit with it after? Um. Well, so, you know, we, you know, we, we went back to work that next day, you know, so that, I mean, there was, we were right back into it, um, in the same position, uh, same role, um, same situation transpiring, you know, we don't know 
what's going to happen next, but, you know, the topic is still present. Um, so, you know, we, I think that that was, you know, getting back into that. Um, my, my, I think my healing had different phases. And so, you know, that, there was that immediate phase where, you know, we go back in that next day in the same position we were, you know, I'm in, I'm not in denial of my feelings. I'm in a, I knew I was in a dark place, but you know, we're still going back into it. There's some catharsis there. You know, there's, there's uh, healing in knowing that or convincing yourself through the actions that this thing hasn't beaten you. Um, and I think that was important for me and probably others is that, you know, we were right back in it. Um, you know, we had experienced the worst day of our lives. Um, and, you know, we're still, we're right back. We're ready for more. Um, so there's a lot of pride there, you know, but, you know, that was just one step in it. Um, having others that went through that experience with me. Uh, was beneficial um, talking about it having purpose through trying to help others that helped me um, I think you know I had I have friends that uh, they listened to me just ramble on and on about it for months that helped Friends that were not police officers? Yeah, yeah, non-police officers. I told my mom. Um, I knew my mom was, was going to see this stuff on the news. And they live in Cincinnati, so uh, they weren't going to be able to, you know, the, I knew her imagination was just going to run wild. And I, you know, I would do that with any anything that I thought would make national news. You know, I would message back and say, hey, you know, um, you know, I'd, I'd tell her I'm home safe. One thing that I cherish from that day uh, is you you never really, you can know a person for years, but not really know, you know, what they have inside them. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I had worked with these officers. I had known them for Various amounts of time, you know, some of them had just joined the platoon, some of them I had known for years, but, you know, I saw them that day, you know, and that, uh, I, <laughs> I can't conceptualize it without tearing up just how proud I am of, of all of them, you know, I mean. You know, they they showed up. Oh. Yeah. One thing we do tend to end on is if there is someone in your life that has served as a role model or someone that you look up to, someone that you admire, someone that you look to the side to, it doesn't have to be looking up, um, 
that you really admire and that has um, helped you maybe gain some of these skills that you have clearly used in your career over time? Is there someone that you view as a role model? Um, I think any well-developed cop is an amalgam of all of their predecessors. Uh, you know, you, you take the things that you like from officers that you admire and you try to combine them into a person that you think is good at the job. Um, I think I, any officer that I saw could just talk to people I, I admired. It's it's something that I always wanted to improve for myself. It's my ability to talk to people, you know, and, and just communicate when things were going downhill. Um, and everybody has their point. Everybody has their tipping point where your communication breaks down. The, your blood is pumping too much that you can't, you're useless. You know, you. and I just, I always wanted my that threshold be, you know, a little, little looser, I guess. Uh, so, I, yeah, there was, there was several officers. Thank you for sharing your story on any given day. If you're struggling or know a law enforcement professional who is, get help now. There are many resources, including the following. Call 911 if emergent help is needed. Safe Call Now is a confidential 24-hour crisis referral service for public safety employees and can be reached at 206-459-3020. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. You are not alone. Stay safe. Nothing heard on this podcast should be considered medical advice, and its contents is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a healthcare provider for that information. The views expressed are solely of the individuals who share them. Thank you to the parents of Chris Dudley, U.S. Marshal Service, for sponsoring this episode. A special thank you to Ron Brooks and Ben Bodden for dedicating their efforts to any given day. They, along with Mike Walker, Mark Espinoza, Matthew Brandt, Patrick Lillis, and James Vandermeer lent their time, advice, and wisdom. And thank you to Ruben at New Record Studios for technical support and production guidance. The Any Given Day podcast is created by the families and friends of LEOs who have died too soon. It is in honor of how they lived.